Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. It's wonderful to see everyone here this morning. Again, if it's your first time, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. I know that showing up at a church uh, where you don't know anybody or you just know very few people can be a risk. And so thank you for taking that risk and coming to worship with us. We're glad that you are here. Today is Easter Sunday. What we celebrate on Easter Sunday is not a myth. It's not a religious opinion. We celebrate the historical reality that Jesus rose from the dead, that eyewitnesses saw him, that there was evidence that he had left the tomb, that Jesus historically in real time and real space defeated death and defeated the devil and defeated sin by coming back from the dead by the power of God. That's what we celebrate today. And as we already read at the beginning of the service, we saw some of the women who followed Jesus in their first encounter with Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And we're going to read from John 20, where Jesus encounters some of the other disciples after he is risen from the dead. So with that in mind, I'm going to read John chapter 20, verse 19, all the way through the end of the chapter. When it was evening on, of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they had seen the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also Send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Because you have seen me, Jesus said, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Word of God. What are you pursuing for life, for joy, and for peace? What are you pursuing right now in your life for life, for joy, and for peace. If you came here at 9.45, you saw a mighty pursuit in the backyard, children running around from corner to corner of the lot, pursuing the next egg, 
funny to watch them. They get the egg and they open it and then they immediately stuff it in their bag and they're on to the next pursuit. Uh, I did see Chevelle out there with a trash bag. She may or may not have pushed a kid out of the way to get the eggs. I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. It was interesting, you know, if we think about that, everyone's pursuing kind of metaphorically as the kids were looking for eggs, we're all sort of looking for that thing that will give us life, joy, and peace. And just like the kids go from egg to egg, I I think our search for life, joy, and peace is a little elusive. It's like as soon as we get it, it either slips through our finger or it's not really what we thought it was and, and we're off to the next thing. I was talking to someone yesterday who had kind of reached the mark they wanted to reach in their career. And once they got there, they found that they couldn't really hold on to that status in their career like they wanted to. And it was sort of slipping away through their fingers. Uh, Even sometimes people say, you know, I look for life, joy, and peace inside. But even in that, we're still on this search, right? It just doesn't happen naturally. We have to find it inside. We have to look for it inside. We have to pursue life, joy, and peace. I wonder if we've ever asked the question, why we believe the things we are pursuing will actually give us life, joy, and peace? Like, have we ever examined that? Have we ever examined that pursuit and go, why do I think it's that thing, that thing in the egg, that thing in my life that will fulfill me and give me the life, joy, and peace I wanted? You know, we, sometimes we put, those, uh, we put that expectation on relationships. Like, if I can just get that relationship, then that will bring me happiness. But you guys know relationships have ups and downs. Sometimes you can lose a relationship, or sometimes you can even mess a relationship up. And then what happens with the happiness you found in that relationship? Some people look to money. If I can just get enough money, then I'll have peace. But we all know even from the last month that our money was not worth what it was three months ago because of the change in inflation. Some people look for peace or life or joy in like comfort and security. If I can just get these things in my life, then I'll feel secure and I'll be at peace. Um, but those things don't often provide what we want. We know over the last year, the last two years, I mean, when COVID started, it was like, we all need toilet paper, right? If we can all just get our hands on some toilet paper, then we will have life, joy, and peace. And people went ballistic for toilet paper. Um, But then it was the next thing, right? It was like, we needed something else. And we were just constantly frantic. We couldn't get our hands on the right thing because the pursuit of life, joy, and peace is always elusive, it's always like the, you know, the stick with the string and the carrot. It's just there. And we just keep grabbing for it. And the things that we think will provide us life, joy, and peace, we can't even keep in our hands. They're not meant to provide us life, joy, and peace. That's what makes the Christian faith incredibly unique. Because the Christian faith says, even though we are on this endless Pursuit for life, joy, and peace. Life, joy, and peace pursues us in the person of Jesus. The risen Jesus pursues broken people like us in order to bring life into our life, in order to bring peace into our hearts and peace between us and God, in order to bring joy that's not dependent on our circumstances, but dependent on who he is and what he's done for us. The risen Jesus pursues us 
with life, with joy, and with peace. In the context of our story, the disciples have had their greatest failure and their greatest moment of doubt and fear. Jesus was crucified on the cross for their sins and for our sins. And instead of boldly standing there while he died, they scattered and ran away. Failure. But not only that, it starts off by saying that they were afraid and full of anxiety because Jesus had been killed by the Jewish council and they were afraid that the Jewish council would do something to them. So our friends here are hiding in a room, not full of life, not full of joy, not full of peace. In fact, the exact opposite. They are scared and hiding. But Jesus is still pursuing. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered because the doors were locked where they feared the Jews. But then Jesus enters in. Verse 20, Jesus came, stood among them, and in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their fear, says, peace. Not here's how to find peace. Not I'll give you three steps to a peaceful life, but peace be with you. Peace be with you. Verse 20, having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. There the one who speaks peace over them shows that he is also the one who defeated death with life. Why? By showing them the scars on his hands, the scars on his side. Death could not defeat him. He pursues them with his peace and he brings life into their darkness by defeating death. Notice, in bringing life to them, he doesn't bring things in his hands. He doesn't bring money or fame or power. He just brings his hands. He brings himself. Here I am, the one who brings you life, because I defeated death. See the mark on my hands. The scars of death are here, but they cannot hold me down. And how do they respond? So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Joy. They respond to the peace and life that Jesus pursues them with. You can go back one slide. With joy when they saw him. Here's a great question. Whatever you're pursuing in your life that you think will bring you joy, is it strong enough to go through the grave? The joy that Jesus brings us is strong enough to provide us joy even in the face of death. A joy that pursues us. This is the joy of a Christian. Kyle Bashir is an author, says, Biblical happiness is not primarily something we have. Rather, it is a joy that has us. Through the risen Lord Jesus. The other night, I shared the story about Cheryl, who was part of our church. And Cheryl, in the last 24 hours of her life, as she was dying, gave her life to Jesus Christ. And it was, it was, it was hard to watch her pass away because Cheryl had loved life. Like, if you remember Cheryl, she was exuberant. She was always wanting to do things that were fun. And then those last two months of her life, she struggled to get off the couch because of her illness. But in those hours before she passed away, when Chris Curtis and I went over and said, Cheryl, do you want to place your trust in Jesus? And she communicated through her 
her eyes moving, that she did. You could see on her face that even hours before her death, she had found joy or joy had found her. And the moment that her life should have ended, her story was just beginning. Jesus pursues people with peace, love, and joy. Just to make sure that the disciples get it, Jesus says it again in verse 21. He says, peace be with you. And then he reminds us of the great pursuit of God. As the Father has sent me. Jesus reminds us that his whole mission is about God's pursuit. God's pursuit of sinful humanity. God's pursuit with life, joy, and peace of broken rebels who shake their fists at God. The reason that Jesus was sent was because we are trying to live our lives apart from God. We are trying to find life, joy, and peace apart from God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? They, they loved God until the moment they disobeyed. And then they took a step towards what they thought was life, joy, and peace, but it was actually their destruction and separation from God. But that did not stop God from his pursuit of rebels and sinners like you and me. Jesus says, peace be with me, as the Father has sent me. Jesus reminds us that his whole mission is about pursuing broken people as sent by God. He pursued them in coming as a baby born in Bethlehem. He pursued them as disciples when he said, come follow me. And here again, as they're huddled in this room, full of anxiety and fear, Jesus pursues them again with peace. It's amazing to think about, you know, you and I, spend so much of our time trying to get A pluses in all these areas of our life. Like we're pursuing all these things. If I, can, if I can just get in shape, right? If I can just make a little extra cash, if, if I can just find this thing, if I can just get A's, maybe B's, if I can get B's in all these areas, then I'll find life, joy, and peace. But life, joy, and peace finds these disciples in the midst of their greatest failure, they're not even close to getting an A. This is their F. They have abandoned Jesus. They are fearful. They have not listened to what he said. They've forgotten what he said. And yet Jesus pursues them. And he reminds them, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In other words, there is so much life and joy and peace in Jesus that when it pursues you, when he pursues you, you cannot help but overflow with life, joy, and peace. And then bring that life, joy, and peace to others. Here, the disciples are in the midst of their biggest failure, but Jesus says, I am pursuing you, and I'm going to pursue you in such a way that empowers you to pursue others. Jesus says in verse 22, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the moment of Pentecost that we, that we study in Acts 2. This is Jesus symbolically saying that the way life, joy, and peace will come in your life is I will send the Holy Spirit to live inside you. God, the God of life, the God of peace, the God of joy will come to live in your hearts and become a permanent part of your personality. For broken people like me, that's good news. That's good news. God in us, the God of joy, the God of life, the God of peace living in us. And that happens through the forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus tells the disciples that if they forgive sins, then sins are forgiven. Meaning if you see that someone has turned to me, turned to Jesus Christ and repented, then they are forgiven. And he gives them authority to tell the good news to people. You have been saved by Jesus Christ. And he sends the disciples to pursue other broken people in a broken world. You know, it makes me wonder just about us. So often we see other people as what takes away our life, as what takes away our joy, as what takes away our peace. Maybe one of those people's even sitting next to you right now. It's a joke. Um, but, but seriously, I mean, think about what Jesus is telling them right now. You and I avoid people taking our life, joy, and peace. We're so protective of it. But what Jesus is telling these broken, anxiety-filled men is that he will give them so much love, joy, and peace. He will give that through himself that they will be empowered to bring that to other people who are broken. Not avoid them, but rather bring Jesus Christ to other people. The risen Jesus pursues us with life, joy, and peace. And because he pursues us with life, joy, and peace, we should believe the risen Jesus. For life, joy, and peace, believe the risen Lord Jesus. Now, I know for a moment there you might say, listen, uh, I love the Easter egg hunt. The music was amazing this morning, but Pastor John, um, I had a little problem when you said the risen Lord Jesus. I mean, this is a myth, right? Like we all know that people don't come back from the dead. And so you want me to place my deepest trust in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead when I can't see that that has happened. Now, I, I get that. Um, but that's why Thomas is in the story. Uh, that's why John includes what Thomas's realistic doubts were. In, in verse 24 and 25, Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus initially showed up. In verse 25, it says, so the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. We're eyewitnesses to the risen Lord Jesus. We believe the risen Lord Jesus. But he, Thomas, said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, if I don't put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, I think Thomas is in the story uh, for a couple reasons. One, Thomas doesn't say, I will never believe. Thomas says, I need some evidence in order to believe. Maybe a good question for you if you're wrestling here today with Christianity is, would you say, I need some evidence in order to believe, or I will never believe? Because if you say, I never believe, let me, let me challenge you. If I were to present enough logic to you, if I were to present enough evidence to you, and you would say, I don't care how much logic, I don't care how much evidence, I'm not going to believe, then it's not about evidence for you. You've just made it up made up your mind in your heart that you don't want to believe in God, that you don't want to believe Jesus rose from the dead, no matter how much evidence is presented. But Thomas says, I need some evidence. And if you give me that evidence, I could possibly believe. If you could prove it to me. See, what's interesting about Christianity is Christianity is not a faith in spite of the evidence. Christianity is a faith in light of the Thomas is, John puts what Thomas did into the story because you and I are all thinking it. We're all thinking people don't come back from the dead. That doesn't follow the scientific method, but that's exactly the point. 
This is preposterous. This is unbelievable that Jesus rose from the dead. But John is telling us that there are eyewitnesses to what he has seen. First of all, John's told us a couple chapters earlier that there was an empty tomb, an empty tomb that was heavily guarded by Roman centurions that robbers could not have defeated. There was a stone that could not have been rolled away, and that was rolled away. There was no body in the tomb, but there was clothes left there, which is interesting because when Jesus was buried, he was buried with a bunch of spices to subdue the nasty fragrance of a dead body. And those spices were usually attached to the clothes, and yet the clothes were left in there meaning those expensive fragrances were not stolen by robbers. So here we have an empty tomb. We have a a stone that's rolled away. We have no body in the tomb. We have clothes that are left. We have evidence in the scriptures of at least 11 appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And you say, well, they made those up in order to gain power and control. But the apostles and the disciples didn't gain power and control. In fact, for their testimony that Jesus had risen from the dead, they often lost everything, including their life. You know, if I make up a lie and you say, listen, tell the truth or I'll kill you, I'm gonna go, okay, I was lying. I just made the whole thing up. But at at, at facing death, these men and women did not recant. And despite the high cost of believing in Jesus, Christianity exploded throughout the early Roman Empire. It swept across Rome. People not just saying, I want to go to church, but I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated sin and death. Thomas doesn't believe unless he has evidence. And the risen Lord Jesus pursues Thomas with evidence. Verse 26 tells us that a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And then in the next verse, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And here it is again, peace be with you. In the next verse, he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. Believe. It's interesting that Thomas needs evidence to believe. And it's Jesus who presents him with that evidence. Jesus is even pursuing Thomas in his doubt. He's coming again with peace and life and joy. And so for life and joy and peace, believe. Believe in the risen Lord Jesus. In just a moment, if if you're wrestling with belief, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and just receive prayer. Um, But notice that Thomas's belief isn't just some intellectual shift. He's experiencing an actual person who rose from the dead. In in verse 28, Thomas says this, my Lord and my God. And I want you to see what's really happening here as Thomas says these five words. Thomas has now found a foundation of his life pursuit. The one who's pursuing him with life, joy, and peace is now the one he believes is the center of the universe. The one who is the source. The one who is life, joy, and peace himself. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And you can almost hear the joy in Thomas's voice as you imagine he says it, my Lord 
and my God. Friends, everything else in life is like running from one Easter egg to the next. It is an elusive pursuit looking for the next thing that we think will make our lives worth living, the next thing that we think will give us joy, the next thing that we think will provide us peace. But Christianity is utterly unique because Jesus, the King of life, the source of joy, the one with everlasting peace, pursues us. And because Jesus pursues us, believe in the risen Lord Jesus. That's actually what Jesus is inviting you today. Here, you might wrestle with, well, I haven't seen the Lord Jesus, but Jesus almost anticipates our questions. In verse 29, he says this, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Not without evidence, but with the record of eyewitness testimony of people who have had the same questions that you have and have had their questions answered and written it down here for you and for me. Jesus is calling you to a belief in him as the risen Lord, a belief that's based on real evidence, story after story, account after account of the God-man who defeated death. That's what John says to us as he closes this passage in verse 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Life eternal and eternal life now that you might find Jesus as the source of all life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you that you know our doubts and our questions and our skepticism. And we pray that you would encourage us this morning, that what we're reading this morning is not fable, it's not myth, it's not something that's made up. Rather, it, it, it is true truth. It is historical account. You defeated sin and death and rose from the dead. And you pursue broken people with life and joy and peace. Lord, give us the freedom to believe this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.